Okay, no more further delays or technical difficulties. We're here at the Old Time Radio Show, and we have a special guest with us today, Mr. Dom Flemings. Dom, what's up? No, nothing much, John. Uh, sorry I kept you waiting here so long, but welcome to the Old Time Radio Show. Oh, well, it's a pleasure to be here. Okay, what do you have to say for yourself? Oh, gosh, uh, I don't know. It's uh, I've known you for a long time, John. I'm glad that you have me on the show. I wanted to play a couple of records that, that I've... Uh, have a special place in my heart, and I hope that the listeners will find a special place in their heart for the records, too. Well, that's beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> okay, what's the first record you have for us today? The first record is one of the first 78s that I, the sets of 78s I ever picked up. Um, when I was in college, I, I signed up for this online music program called emusic.com, and uh, this was back when there was a record industry, so it was okay to <laughs> it was okay to steal music. Right. So uh, uh, you know, so I had, I had stole all this music from this place. I won't tell you how, but you know that's one of the great secrets of life. And my friend, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my roommate, and I were both getting a bunch of records, and he was telling me, "Hey, you know what? I, I like this guy Blind Blake a whole bunch." I said, "Oh yeah, Blind Blake, some good ragtime picking." He's like, "No, he plays." like Caribbean music and so that's how I found out about this fellow Blind Alphonse Higgs who recorded in the 50s under the name of Blind Blake as well so I, I started looking up his music and uh, off of eBay I found this uh, this 78 set of about five or six uh, different 78s of his and this is one of um, a medley uh, uh, Hold'em Joe, Wheel and Turn and also Jump in the Line some of you may know Harry Belafonte's version but here's one Hold him, Joe, hold him, Joe, hold him, Joe, don't you let him go. Hold him, Joe, hold him, Joe, if you let him go, you're gonna break his toe. The donkey wawada, ah, the donkey wawada, ah, the donkey got a fever, he gonna put on a beaver. Ah, the donkey got a eager, he gonna see Andy Hager, turn out to a leg legger, then to be a bull legger. Ah, the donkey wawada, ah, the donkey wawada. The more I wake from a daily bread, the people call me Copperhead. Out on the beach, in the sand, the people call me Sponge Man. The donkey wah water. Ah, the donkey look dandy. Ah, the donkey wah candy. Going to see Mr. Andy. Ah, the donkey wah water. The people say me donkey is bad, cause him come from Trinidad. But I know me donkey is good, cause him bring me Robin Hood. The donkey wah water. Ah, the donkey got a beaver. He gonna put on a beaver. Ah, the donkey got a eager. He gonna see Andy Hager. Turn out to a leg legger. Then to be a bull legger. Ah, the donkey wah water. The donkey wah water. I went up on Breezy Hill. I meet with old lady cooking. I asked her for a little bit of dinner. She say I must jump to the window. And after they jump to the window, I meet her with a hand in a kimber. She want me for ball down top my belly, make tambourine. The way you go, wheel on tambourine. The way you go, wheel on tambourine. You want me for ball down. You want me for ball down. The way you go, wheel on tambourine. The way you go, wheel on tambourine. Yo, I'm a bubble, top my belly, make tambourine. Jump in the line, rock your body on time. When you jump in the line, rock your body on time. Jump in the line, rock your body on time. Jump in the line, rock your body on time. And when you rock your body, I mean so, from right to left with the tempo. And since you feel the sensation, jump in the air, come down with slow motion. Jump in the line, rock your body on time. Jump in the line, rock your body on time. Rock your body, I mean so, from right to left with the tempo. In case you feel the sensation, jump in the air, come down with slow motion. Jump in the line, rock your body on time. Jump in the line, rock your body on time. Okay, very nice, very nice. What else do you know about this guy, this Calypso Blind Blake? Actually, I don't know too much more about him. I've picked up several of his LPs and whatnot, and just and just enjoyed his music. I, I know he was he played a 
he played for tourists in in the Bahamas very early on and uh, this particular 78 set was made in the early 50s which was kind of late in the game for making 78s and so that tells yeah. a little bit about the production of records at that time and uh, so that's about all I know about him so tell us uh, how you got started collecting records were you always a collector when you were a young kid well uh, I started collecting things like uh, uh, like Marvel comic cards and things like that at first, and then oh, yeah. as so a, you always wanted to collect something. Yeah, I just just always got into you know collecting things and also learning about the the history of 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 just things in general. So when I was collecting the cards, I'd start reading the, about the different characters and start connecting who was related to who and you know how it all fit in the context of everything. Sure. You know, and like a, trying to make it into a timeline. And so when I got into music, I found it was, uh, you know, real people and and real history. So that was something that really uh, appealed to me as well. Huh. What was the first record you got? Do you remember? The very first record I got was was one from a, uh, a group from the early 90s Sublime, one called 40 Ounces to Freedom. Really? That was your first record? That was my very first record. I'd seen it at the... Um, I'd seen it at the record store, one called Zia in uh, in Phoenix, and uh, so I picked that up, and I didn't know how to play it. I had a Technics uh, turntable, and I just tried to play it on that, because I didn't realize that you needed anything else to it. So I tried it, no sound. So I asked my parents about it, and I said, well, how do I do this? He said, well, get an amp. And I was like, well, what's an amp? You know, I had to <laughs> <laughs> so then I had, to, I had to piece it together, you know, how to put a record player together, put it together with amps and, and start playing them from there. Cause at that time it was still before, um, it was still before it was, uh, outside of the specialized field of like DJing and stuff like that, that people were interested in, in playing records at all. Hmm. Interesting. Do you remember the first like, uh, old time record or how did you, how, you, you started out listening to folk and then worked your way back to like old time music. Do you remember how you got there? Sure, I got. It. I actually have. I actually have one of the records that got me started on listening to a lot of old time music. Is one of a fellow by the name of Lead Belly. I think we've heard of him here on the old time radio show. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'd, ma- I'd imagine he got a great copy of uh, Negro Sinful Songs over there, which is one of uh, Lead Belly's great '78 collections. There. Yeah, I also have uh, Becky Dean. She was a gambling girl. One of his real early. Uh, records from melaton which is oh that's a great one. Oh, this set here's one of his library of congress recordings he does a version of uh, of becky dean where he plays it in a bunch of different uh tempos i really have never heard that oh that's a really neat one there we could probably play this is also has the, the one you do right um that i never heard till you played it and i went back and heard the original lead belly i really liked it oh i'm, I'm sorry mama yeah, yeah that's sorry, a, mama, oh, my heart. That's oh that's great. a great one there yeah that one's a uh, that one's over on the side one on this one here. Let's see. Let's bust that one out there. That's a great one. Yeah, but, I first heard this when I heard you play it, and I thought it was an amazing song. And then uh, I, I, I picked this up. You told me it was on the Library of Congress. Yeah, this one ended up, uh, this one edited by the great Lawrence Cohen, uh, who uh, who edited the Roots and Blues series and also all of the Columbia Legacy uh, uh, Sony Legacy uh, recordings that that were put out in the early 90s, including the Emmett Miller Minstrel Man from Georgia and and a lot of other great great recordings that um, I've come to respect. This was one of his first projects he did on Electra. <laughs> I'm a good old town to buy Seeking my hand around on sideways Got a mama to my hand Made no difference ever I'm a hound You got a pretty kick in my hand around on sideways Got a mama to my hand Still tell me your land Then your brand can raise nothing but potatoes on Sand and land on sideways Got a mama to my hand Every time I go to school, the teacher sees a whooping me without a rule, I'm sorry. Sorry, mama, to my heart. And it's making no difference, never. I'm a fool, she got to quit a whooping me without a rule, I'm sorry. Sorry, mama, to my heart. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry, mama, to my heart. 
Uncle Jumbo Leo, find you darn good for nothing. You try to haul them sideways, tie them to my heart. I'll tell you the truth, man. Not just facts, and I don't you nothing but battle like I'm sorry. Hey, mama, to my heart. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hey, mama, to my heart. See if you if you if you take a second here to play just a little bit more of that after I'm sorry, Mama. That one of the things that was great about this record as well, going into uh, the monologue on square dance and sookie jumps. This uh, as I was going on this, one of the things that's great about this this particular set of the Library of Congress recording is the way that they that they put together the different aspects of Lead Belly's repertoire. So it, it's broken down into like you know barrel house music. And including a great version of uh, Tom Hughes's Town, which is just a great seven seven minute version of it. Oh, so good! And uh, the other one, of the other sections is square dances, sookie jumps, ju and reels. And so this is a lot of square dance music. So this is where I first started hearing about black square dances and things like that. Was from this particular monologue with Lead Belly here. So let's hear a little bit. I have Alan Lomax interviewing him, and then he's playing a bit of Poe Howard. I want you to tell you about the way they put on the square dances down in Louisiana when he was a boy growing up in the backwoods. Judy, what did they call square dances? Call them sookie jumps. Why did they call them sookie jumps? Well, because they danced so fast, the music was so fast, and the people had to jump, so they always called them sookie jumps. Do you know what sookie means? Sookie, well, that's a cow sometimes when you tell it sookie, 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 you know, sookie the cow away. Would they ever holler that at the dances when they had them? They, they just holler sookie jump. Sometimes mm -hmm. they'd holler uh, one dollar bill, baby, won't buy me no shoes. It's just anything they feel like singing in there. And what kind of music did they have? And well, they had a fiddle sometimes and accordion. And what were the names of some of the tunes they played? Well, the tunes were uh, four hours. He's a poor boy, and he played a fiddle. He's the first fiddler after the Negroes got free in slavery time. Well, poor Howard was a Negro. He used to play for him at the sugar jump. And the number he played, he played it was poor Howard, poor boy. How does that go, Hitty? Poor Howard, poor boy, it goes like this. Yeah, I live my friend. 
I should mention to our listeners, and you usually hear at the Old Time Radio Show, we listen exclusively to uh, 78 RPM records, but today we're listening to 78 RPM records and uh, 33 and a third LPs, because that's primarily what you collect, Yeah. because you're not quite as uh, insane as myself and some of the other people we often have on this show, but I will say you have an amazing uh, 33 and a third collection, and you've played me so many things that I would have otherwise never have heard and have uh, really enjoyed listening to. Well, uh, So we thank you for coming on with those, and uh, we're more than happy to make the exception here today on the Old Time Radio Show. Well, one of the nice things about the the 33 is, you know, they, they reissue some set, they reissue 78 recordings, and they obviously don't sound as good as the 78s. So, you know, folks that are, folks that, Want to just yeah, want to just get get as close to the '78 without getting their hands on those beautiful rare, rare records. You know, '33 is is about all that that most people can do. You know, you you guys you guys do hard work searching for them. That's true, but I mean, most of your records are stuff that um, wasn't necessarily issued on '78. Yeah, a lot of the field recordings. Uh, That's right. You know, they got issued on '33, especially in the the early in. Uh, like late 50s and the early 60s there were a lot of field recordings that were done by the Library of Congress or different folklorists that came out that you can only get on on a 33 and a third and now all the all the earlier like 30s and 40s Library of Congress stuff was issued on 78 or some of that stuff didn't come out until LP uh, regardless anyways right? yeah they were on acetates um, on a, on a wax acetates that and then also 78 uh, acetates later on. And it wasn't until they started issuing them. I think, I think, in the early '40s, they started issuing. They made like a, about a hundred records, I think, or something of of different themed records that came from the Library of Congress's, uh, you know, '78 and acetate recordings. And that was the first way that a lot of people had heard about it. Actually, I, I met a fellow by the name of Stephen Wade recently at a banjo symposium, and he put this great book out. Um, called the Be- beautiful music all around us and mm. and how it started was there's an album called um it was called folk music of the united states and it had a the first sampler disc had a bunch of different stuff including um a guy bill shep's uh, version of bonaparte Re- uh, bonaparte's retreat which is um uh, aaron copeland used uh in his uh his uh modern op- uh, ballet um uh rodeo which everybody knows is the uh, you know beef. It's for, it's what's for dinner. That melody that came from a uh, Library of Congress field recording. Hmm. Uh, it also had the Rock Island line, the you know the the field recording that Lead Belly ended up using to create his version. I mean, all sorts of stuff like that. But it was a whole series of recordings that just changed changed everything. There's one I'm still looking for actually at at some point. One called Negro Religious Songs and Services, and it has a. Uh, just some beautiful, beautiful music, um, including a great version of uh, Children Go Where I Send Thee, where they sing all 12 verses. It's like about seven or eight minute version where they sing all the all the different verses to the song. It's a counting song. Um, a beautiful, beautiful tune. Well, any of our listeners out there that have that, they can uh, send it to you for Christmas, and uh, it's payback for this, all this great free music they're getting today on the show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You laugh. I got some '78s there, way. Really? Yeah. Oh man. Hey. Yeah. So, listeners, please send send them on down to Dom Fleming's American Songster. Relax. We're gonna get it for you. I got a good feeling. <laughs> well, great. Well, here's another one here that I found uh, in college. At, I went to Northern Arizona University, and and the college library had a beautiful LP collection. And so this is this is one of the records I found. 
another one that compiles uh, Alan Lomax's uh, field recordings he took in the let's see I think this was in the late 50s he did another another uh, big trip in the south researching different talent and and he picked up uh, such wonderful acts as Mississippi Fred McDowell and um, yes. some great stuff he recorded and uh, he th he also picked up there, these are two of Fred McDowell's neighbors that he got uh, if you could get to track six through uh, six seven and eight the first one is um, Jim and John from Ed and Lonnie Young and so this is some great fife and drum music this is some of the first uh, Mississippi fife and drum music that was ever recorded uh, between that, uh, there's Emmeline Take Your Time, done by Alec Askew, another one of the people that, that Lomax uh, recorded out in the Mississippi Hills. It was um, Sid Hemphill, and who played uh, string band music as well as fife and drum music, and uh, switched back and forth freely between the two. And he and his group, there, Alex Askew and Sid, they both played an instrument called the quills, which I play as well, which is a panpipe instrument that's actually have featured on, on your record, John, Drunken Barrel House Blues. Yep. And then uh, number eight is a, a tune called Buttermilk, which was another one of my first exposures to what I would find out later was some of the black string band tradition there. So it's nice guitar and fiddle stuff there from Miles and Bob Pratcher. Uh, some of you fans of Fred McDowell will know the name of uh, Miles Pratcher because he, he did some recordings with Fred on some of the, the early uh, McDowell uh, uh, recordings that Lomax did.
again was the the most well-known one from that particular area of the the hill country of Mississippi so it's hmm. they were they were around but you know sometimes it's I'm not sure what it is somebody some people just have that extra spark and that's one of the things nice about a lot of the 78 uh, you know uh, not the a lot of the uh, field recordings that where you get to hear a whole variety of people from the same area instead of just the the, yeah, the one true. main person because that, that's one thing with a lot of the the 78 recordings is usually you're getting the really great person in the community the, like the one that that either had the notion to want to make records or they were the best guy in town that everybody said go to this guy well at that at that time a lot of different people were making music in the community whether it was professionally or non-professionally and I just to, to hear those guys it's like all their tunes sound the same like uh but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. but good God, you know that's a that's what a great beat that they have on. Oh, that was phenomenal! Yeah, <laughs> it was great. I could listen to that all day. And th- but you know some of the some of the early '78 sessions were similar to that, like when uh, they were sending people out into the field, and then they would have auditions and they would get you know God knows how many people, but then you know would often record 50 to 100 acts maybe, wow. you know all from a certain area, mm-hmm. like the famous country Bristol sex- sessions. And, you know, a lot of the early Mississippi stuff, too. And then what tends to happen is uh, they start calling certain people back. Mm. And uh, uh, other than, like, maybe 1927 to, like, 1929, I think was the 
the, the, the era where they were mostly going out in the field, and then after that they were bringing people into bigger cities a lot to record and stuff for, for probably finances. You know. Yeah. But yeah, this is this is a real rich uh, selection of music from uh, different areas. It's fantastic to, well, to have all this stuff. Well, folks that are in New York Shit, City, I'm start collecting LPs, man. <laughs> I'll I'll know, man. I'll have to, yeah, you don't have the room for it, man. This is this is about two times the space of the seven eight you got here. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> then you get seven songs per side. Then, you know, yeah, you have to start doing some math there. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, folks that are in New York City, um, they have the whole Al Lomax archive out in Hunter College uh, over at the uh, Association for Cultural Equity. And you can go on culturalequity.org. They got a lot of the, a lot of this material is, is up there for free, just streaming. So, you know, you can find it. It's, um, if you go into, let's see, if you, look, if you look into the archives and the sound recordings, go into Southern Journey 1959-1960, and then go into... Como, Part Two. Como, Mississippi, Part Two. Then you'll find you'll find a lot of these recordings right in that session. As you can see, I've spent a lot of time in that session myself o- yeah. over there. You're like Don Kent with serial numbers. Yeah, <laughs> I like, I'm gonna do it. I'll do it. Awesome. Now this uh this next one here uh, when I when I first let's see one of the people who really get got me to transition from so I played a lot of folk music and. Then I was writing songs for a long time. Then I did uh, performance poetry for a while, and then I started doing traditional stuff and listened to a lot of '78 recordings. And one of the people who really helped me have a new outlook on it was Mike Seeger, who uh, lived uh, in Lexington, Virginia, and he did this. He had this thing that he started doing after a while. Uh, he was in the New Lost City Ramblers and the Strange Creek Singers, and and he, he st- when he started performing solo after a while, he started mixing these different traditional styles together. And so one of the things that that uh, we connected over was the quills, which you heard with Alex Siskiu. And so I was over at Mike's house. I, I went out there several times before he passed away. And I was I was saying, you know, there was a there was a particular song that Mike used to do called uh, Quill Diddy. And what he'd do is he would have the shaker, and he would play the quills at the same time and do a hooting like a hooting pattern, almost like it reminded me of like Sonny Terry or something like that. And I asked him about it, and he pulled out this particular LP that I that I've got in in a, in my possession. I got my own copy after this, uh, one called Traditional Music at at Newport, 1964. And so, and this is a part one. It's two part series. Um, this was put out by Vanguard Records, and from 1963 to 65, Vanguard put out a series of LPs chronicling the Newport Folk Festivals that went on in the early 60s. So you can find the blues volumes that have uh, Mississippi John Hurt, uh, Skip James, Sun House, uh, Fred McDowell, um, uh, geez, everybody. And there's Bob Dylan, it has Jose Feliciano's first uh, debut, where has a great version of La Bamba that he does. Uh, that's out of this world. Just, just, just get it. You know, I know that you guys might be thinking of uh, Feliz Navidad, but this is this is beyond that. But um, it's got Hobart Smith and a whole bunch of other folks. But there, this fellow, uh, Joe Patterson, he played the quills on a, a ten-hole quill and uh, played with the shaker. And so this is where Mike got his particular performance from. And so you could play all three tracks. It's only about like five minutes or something worth of music. And so he has a. Uh, the Georgia Sea Island singers joining him also on hand claps and tambourine.
out about I'd say about yeah 13 or 14 of these records between those years I mean um, you know just to kind of get a, a sense of the different types of people they had it had there there was Hobart Smith from Virginia he He's was fantastic yeah, I mean he just an all-around Renaissance man from Virginia the moving star hall singers they were from st. John's Island in South Carolina and did a lot of uh, Kind of, it was kind of like what you heard with the hand claps and stuff with the Georgia Sea Island singers, but it was the South Carolina version. They did, they're more of a, what they call the Geechee uh, culture, where they have a, this their whole their own like, uh, I guess patois of English and like kind of African and Caribbean, uh, you know, kind of like language patterns and stuff like that. Beautiful music. Sarah Gunning from Kentucky was a balladeer. Um, Let's see, they got a, you know, Ken and Nariah Benfield, their father and son that played auto harps uh, in duets. Uh, you know, they had uh, a whole group of sacred harp singers come in. Uh, they had uh, Doc Watson had his first premiere, and uh, in 64 he brought his whole family, including his father-in-law, his brother, Merle Watson, his son, and it was that was Merle's first performance out in public. And his mother, and his like, uh, and his, I think a, a sister too. But I mean, that was just a little bit of it, and it, it inspired me to, to actually look up a guy named Murray Lerner who made a film about the Newport Folk Festival called Festival, and uh, that that's it got me inspired because especially with the Joe Patterson stuff, I was trying to see film of this guy because you know Mike had, had mentioned to me that Murray had filmed all the major performances there, which Murray did. And when I first moved up to New York, I started. I started looking. I started looking up Murray, and I, I found him, and I and I helped. Uh, I helped him out at his office for about a, a couple years by putting names on all the performers that I could identify that on the stock footage, and just um, 
to get a sense of what seeing a performer uh, doing their thing compared to what uh, what you hear. Like when when I saw, when Mike would perform it, he had a shaker, the kind of like a ping pong paddle sized shaker that he played with the quills, which was one thing. And then when I saw Joe Patterson, Joe Patterson had a thing that looked almost like um, like a large paddle, almost like um, I don't know, like fraternity brothers, you know, sized paddle or something like that, uh, or a cricket paddle sized uh, stick that he had uh, th- all these half half drilled in uh, bottle caps. To, to do his shaking. So it was really interesting to see the different way that even the shaking would happen to and how that uh, how you can coordinate coordinate that with your body movement in terms of how you perform. And so just so that sort of stuff was really, really great to me. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Uh, you know, we've had some uh, other guests on the show here on my friend Pat Conte and recently my friend Robert Crumbs. We asked them a lot of different questions. Sometimes uh, we get off the subject of music a little bit. So uh, in, in that um, tradition, I want to ask you, what do you know about uh, alien contact with humans here on Earth? Hmm, alien contact with humans on Earth. Jeez, they, I th- they feel they, they must have gotten in contact with us at some point. I mean, there's some things that are just so unexplained in this world that... Yeah, you know, he just it just makes you makes you wonder makes you wonder what what's happened and also, you know, there's there's got to be there's got to be life out in in other places in the world than here. Good answer. <laughs> I got my eye on you, man. All right, all right. So now back to music. Um, <laughs> I see here you got uh, one of my favorites. I know one of your favorites too. Uh, great uh, Henry Thomas here. Yeah. This is a. Did this guy ever make a bad record? Jesus. No, he, 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 there are there are zero bad records by this guy. Like uh. Right, he's from Texas. What else do we know about uh, Henry Thomas here? That's re- that's really about it. This particular this particular LP I have uh, from Herwin Records, uh, with the notes by Mac McCormick, is the most extensive Henry Thomas information that we have at all. That pretty much he was a he was a hobo who. Who traveled around, an itinerant musician, and he was a songster of the tradition of many East Texas uh, songsters. Like we heard Lead Belly a little earlier, Mance Lipscomb's another, right. another one of those performers and songsters. And I think Henry Thomas was just another one of those guys that played in that style. And he's uh, he recorded from uh, 1927 to probably. 1929, right? I believe that was yeah. I think yeah. that I think that was right in the right in those years. Yeah, 1929. He made a bunch of records. I don't know how many, but a lot. Yeah, that, all fantastic. I think it's interesting to note, like, like you know, what you were talking about earlier. When people ask me why I uh, like this kind of music more or less exclusively to to any music from any other time. Um, you know the. The only real answer I can give, the, the, the one thing that all, all the music recorded in this period uh, has to me is the quality of being completely unaffected by uh, the music business. When you listen to a guy like Henry Thomas um, and so, so many other people who were recorded during this period, you hear um, not only, you know, absolutely no sense of, you know, how is this going to sell, or what can I do to make this record sell, and you know, image, and all, all the other silly stuff that follows. As soon as the music business takes over, really only about six, seven years after he recorded, and you know, by today's standards, it's off the charts. Um, you know, but the other thing that you were talking about is that this was music um, created by just random people, you know, working class people, or people who were below the working class, in the case of like Henry yeah. Thomas, you know, didn't even fit into what you would call working class, just real kind of, you know, bums, for lack of a other way of putting it, but um, not, you know, uh, in the, not to say that in a derogatory sense, but to, to point out the fact that this was just music made by the common man, mm. and uh, that that's what I think is... Uh, so lost today it's in fact the exact opposite nobody wants to hear music by a common man they want to hear it by some you know robot uh space age superstar that they think is the most perfect uh you know idolize american idol you know the 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 perfect uh, human you know yeah um 
so that's what we're led to believe about uh, most of the music that's uh, that we hear today, probably like 99% of it or more. Well, one one thing that I found is interesting about Henry Thomas is also it, it's a, with the it it's Henry Thomas is interesting on on two things based off of what you were saying is one is like he's he was affected by the music industry but a different music industry which was the sheet music industry and the and the minstrel stage like uh, that's one thing that's really interesting about Henry Thomas is on the on the but on the surface level he he's like one of the folkiest of folkiest sounding guys and also they say he's one of the oldest guys to have made records but he has so many different remnants of the minstrel stage and and popular sheet music songs in his repertoire than than most than most other guys you know you'd have to find other songsters like um i don't know, like luke jordan he has a lot of things uh, jim and andrew baxter have a couple of songs that are that are derived from um from older sheet music to Gus Cannon, he's he's another one that has that. Like one one song, uh, Arkansas that he does, which also I, I I performed that one a cappella. The first part of it is a is a part of a piece called the Baby. Um, Let me bring my clothes back home, which was a sheet music song from Irving Jones, who was a um, he was a, a coon song writer from the 1890s. Now coon songs were were uh, Kind of like the third and third and fourth generation minstrel songs, where you had these black performers that were that were writing writing these ragtime songs that were small on melody, but they had these great choruses. So songs like "I Got Mine's a Coon Song," uh, what's another one? Uh, you know, "Baby, bring, Let Me Bring My Clothes Back Home." Yeah. Oh yeah. There we go. And. Uh, Oh, what's a what's another one of those ones? Yeah, everybody works but father. Yeah. You know the Lil McClintock recorded. Uh, uh, Please don't think I'm Santa Claus. Fantastic. And and yeah. that's that's one that's three and four different uh, coon songs smashed together into into one thing. So it's like it's like a, it's an instinct thing where you have this this sort of interplay between popular song and folk song. But one thing that's that that is unique about particularly in the pre-war era with 78s is that all these people would interpret the songs after a certain point into their own style and i think that that's something that well that's what we should that's what we should make clear to people listening who aren't familiar with this is that that the tradition of music from the period that we're talking about um was to take songs um that more or less most people weren't songwriters in other words Mm -hmm. to take songs and render them and uh, you know it wasn't really considered important to be a songwriter and in fact most people weren't really interested in being songwriters most people were just even when they were doing songs that maybe you know like you said well the first part is this and the other part is that they were making their own versions of the same kind of melodies and chord changes that have been going around been passed on to them and it wasn't really till the, the the music business took over and particularly the record business that all of a sudden it became important to be a songwriter because it was mm-hmm. like, hey, hey, wait a second, how come I'm not getting paid this, what's this publishing thing? Oh, yeah. that goes to the guy who wrote the song. Well, I wrote that song. That's and all right. of a sudden that comes into play. But actually you were right that the music business really exploded around 1870 uh, via sheet music and Stephen Foster was the guy kind of responsible for that with songs like... Uh, Old Folks at Home, which is better than our Swanee River, yeah. and Oh Susanna. And, you know, until that point, more or less, songs had been uh, passed around orally. And because of these, you know, few songs becoming so so hugely popular, people started to realize, you know, everybody, you go all around this country, and everybody's selling sheet music for these songs that this guy wrote. And they started making uh, these laws about, you know, music publishing. That's yeah. where it all started, that, you know, only person who wrote the song can make the money off the sheet music and then you had the golden age of sheet music where you know like you said there was two ways songs basically got passed around just orally you mm-hmm. know which we usually tend to call folk songs mm-hmm. and really via sheet music where people n- didn't ever necessarily hear an uh, a version of that song but they could buy the sheet music and it would have the words and the music in there so of course, you know, you could just imagine how everybody's going to interpret that completely, uh, 
independently, which well, is what's so interesting about it. Well, and that's something that's nice about this particular era of, of, the, of like, between 1927 and 29, is you really have this sort of era before before performance got standardized in such a way from just popular records being out there because that's one thing too is the the sheet music industry kind of like the actually kind of like the cd industry now with did the digital age coming along completely got sideswiped by this new technology of recording because they said oh recordings you can't make any money on recording so you know we're not even going to bother like taking any time with it and then all of a sudden recordings completely took over sheet music and and then also with making a recording you standardized you standardized the songs or standardized the versions of songs so That's now right. you know people in the modern era we go off of these old recordings and you know for you know for whatever the performance might be you know if a guy messes up on the old recording you know we only we only know that this version is the definitive version so then we you know we all interpret it the same sort of way which is kind of an interesting you know, kind of an interesting uh, backward way. approach to the way it was done. Yeah, yeah. But uh, one I wanted to play out here because uh, Henry Thomas is known as he's probably the most well-known of the Quills players uh, out of anybody. Uh, let's see. Well, I'll pick out the, I'll pick out this one here, the Fox and the Hounds. A lot of my favorite Henry Thomas ones are unfortunately the ones where he's not playing Quills. <laughs> but you know, like uh, stuff like Run Molly Run, I love that number. Fantastic, yeah. uh, Bob McKinney has great words. Arkansas is a great one. God, he didn't, he did, you're, you're right, John, he didn't do a bad record. I'm, I'm just about to list off this whole, <laughs> this whole yeah, LP you, here. You really can't go wrong. Yeah, Cottonfield Blues is a great one. So what are we going to play here, The oh. Fox and the Hounds? Yeah, The Fox and the Hounds. That's track number four. Me too. I, I won't tell you how much I paid for this LP, but this is actually the most expensive LP that I that I own here. I well, I wouldn't even dream of embarrassing you by <laughs> asking you, but I'll tell you that whatever you paid for it, it was worth it. Oh yeah, man. I was, you know, it's funny. There was a, a friend of mine uh, named Daniel. He was actually he was actually we got off of eBay, and he um 
he was bidding on it at the same time, and so we, he and I were in this neck and neck battle. And uh, <laughs> right when I right when I won it, he calls me on he called me on the phone the moment after the thing quit, and he said, "You bastard!" You. <laughs> That's so funny. I have a couple of seventy-eight guys that I know. If I get outbid on something, I know who it was. Yeah. I call them up. Sure enough, I'm almost always right, and vice versa. And there's nothing more satisfying than when you get them. Yeah, man. Well, John, I want to I want to break the rules one more time here. Yeah, what are the rules? Uh, There's no rules. That's what I try to tell everybody on this show. We have no we, we adhere to no higher power. We have no corporate sponsorship. There are no rules. <laughs> we can do whatever we want. Well, what, like, what would you like to do? I'd like to play one on off of the iPod. Just okay, and uh, I got some bad news, but uh, this is going to be the the last song here on the Old Time Radio Show. Oh. Time goes by so fast. Oh man. Fun. But you're more than welcome to do this again, and uh, I hope you will come back another time because this has been really great for me. Because unlike, um, I mean, not unlike when I have you know friends of mine playing records I've never heard, I've never even heard most of this music, and uh, the stuff that I have, I just happen to love. So thank oh. you very much, Tom. Hey, no problem, man. And I, I, I didn't even get a chance to break into the jazz stuff. Maybe next time we'll have I'll, I'll have a jazz show where. Um, Show a little bit of the folk roots of jazz that I that I've been able to find uh, like within it. within the LPs and stuff. Let's do it. Awesome, man. Well, I'll play I'll play one more that um, is actually I was I was we were talking about field recordings and commercial recordings and I'll play one last one that's actually the same dance calls that Henry Thomas does on the Fox and the Hounds. Alan Lomax and John Lomax recorded another fellow named Pete Harris around around the same era so Henry Thomas recorded that one and I'd think 1927 he recorded the Fox and the Hounds and so Pete Harris he was recorded by the Lomaxes in 1934 and at the time Pete Harris was about they said he was 33 years old so so two contemporary musicians from um, uh, Pete Harris was from Richmond, Texas, which is a little bit farther south than from where Henry Thomas is said to have been from in the, the eastern part of Texas. And um, it, it's very interesting to see what Pete Harris does with his voice in place of the quills, because he only plays the guitar and, hmm. and does the dance calls instead of playing the quills. All right. Yeah. And so let me let me get this uh, hooked up here. Actually, I'll, I'll make one one final mention of something. Uh, Henry Thomas with the quills, he plays a very common tune, cackle and hen, right. uh, to break up the dance calls. And so is this that the old hen cackled, or is that? Uh, the, this is the the cackle and hen. The old hen cackle is is a slightly different tune, but the right. the but the cackle and hen is. Um, that started out as a fiddle tune. Yeah, that's right. the one. That's a, that's a that's a fiddle tune. And uh, if you see the movie Louis Bluey, it's the same tune that Louis Bluey's playing with the, the country musicians in the bar where he's if doing that off. If you haven't seen it, you should stop right now and go buy it. Yeah. Louis Bluey on DVD. Buy it, you dummies. Yeah. I don't mean to, Every once in a while I have to berate our audience. I'm not sure why because we're so lucky to have an audience here at all. Well, you know, sometimes the audience says, well, let me, let me wait yeah, on this. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah. So don't wait. Buy it right now. That's right. Do it's, it. It's on the Criterion Collection. It's, it's, it's quality stuff. See, even even mild mannered Don Flemings agrees that the audience needs a little berating once in a while. Oh man, I named just to steer uh, them in the right direction. This ca- that cackling hen from Louis Blue. That's the, them with love. That's the reason that I named my band the Carolina Chocolate Drops. When I showed that to yeah, Renan right. and Justin, we you know we took the Tennessee Chocolate Drops name and and threw Carolina in there right after seeing that. But one of the things that's great about taking that cackling hen, and so if you think of uh, black music as a as being a continuous stri- uh, stream. Of, of music going from the past into the present it's almost like you're thinking of uh, in, in rap music and hip-hop you have the you have the break or you have the hook and then you have you have your rhymes or whatnot and you see other examples of this happening one fellow that recorded in the that was recorded in the 50s was a guy named Will Sladen and he does a version of when the train comes along which is another tune that Henry Thomas does he also does another piece called uh, good things got more than one which is just the hook of Frank Stokes' song, It's a Good Thing. So you hear you hear the same hook, and then with Frank Stokes' version, Frank then adds in his 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 lines about, you know, you know, I'm getting old and my hair's getting gray, Lord, I'm not bow-legged, but I walk that way, and claim to be the oldest rider of the barn, and he does his whole rap on that with the hook. And so that's one thing that's really beautiful about 
hearing a lot of this different music, just the different ways that it's, it's being used and how it connects to music we, we know of now as popular music or stuff that we're all familiar with. This is a track that comes from the Black Texicans album from the Deep River Song Collection from John and Alan Lomax. Pete Harris. <laughs> Oh, 